welcome to the Project Entrepreneur, the Tools podcast series. The goal of this podcast is to share ideas, tools, and strategies from entrepreneurs, investors, and other leaders in the startup community. This series will equip you with the knowledge and concepts to bring your business to the next level. What will you build and how will you build it? Today's episode, The Keys to the Co-Founder Relationship, was recorded at the 2018 Project Entrepreneur Intensive in New York City. It features Guilt Group co-founders Alexandra Wilkes-Wilson and Alexis Maybank. It was moderated by Jenny Fleiss, co-founder of Rent the Runway and Code 8. So as much as I'm sure you've told the Guilt founding story hundreds of times at this point, I, I know that everyone in the room is very curious. So I'm hoping you can share a little bit about what those first kind of few months were like. Um, there are a lot of parallels to what you introduced this um, session this morning. I mean, Alexandra and I came together, I mean, slightly different times. We were joined by two fantastic co-founders uh, who had uh, great front-end and back-end engineering expertise, another co-founder that really seeded what we were trying to build and get off the ground. But our first four months, and we literally went from start to launch in about four, four months, um, involved figuring out how to get um, the right warehouse space in the New York, New Jersey area, something we knew nothing about. Um, how to uh, make sure that a, a package that was ordered right at noon Eastern Standard got out the door within two hours. We had to come up to speed on so many topics we had never even thought we would have to know, for instance, how to identify if a warehouse space in New Jersey has a mafia element or not. Literally, <laughs> there were so many topics yes. they don't teach you in college or business school. Um, so it was, uh, it's fair to say, a sprint. Um, and, and in any good startup, you might have one title, but you have about seven hats you're wearing. And if you're not doing that, you're probably not um, being dexterous and, and tackling all the challenges as they inevitably come your way. So um, we spent a tremendous amount of time figuring out what we didn't know, naming the company, figuring out how on a shoestring budget we would reach tens of thousands and then eventually a million customers in our first year. We brought that same fearless naivete of all the things we didn't know, and we just figured it out as we went, and we made a tremendous amount of mistakes as we did. Um, we took a, a tremendous amount of shortcuts, but that effectively is what is required to get a ground, a, a startup off the ground level and to build something that you don't know if it's gonna scale to millions or to your your 500 cl you know, closest friends or friends. So it was a whirlwind for sure. Maybe, Alexander, you can comment a little on this idea of there were five people in this founding team, each brought different skills to the table, but how did that work as kind of a team of five? Because I think you hear sometimes about like co-founding relationships, but to have that many people like all in the mix. Yeah, I, I, first of all, I love being a part of a team as a personality, and I think um, to, to go about entrepreneurship alone, um, for me, especially, Guilt was my first entre entrepreneurial um, ad venture. Um, all the other co-founders had startup experience, but um, no one person is good at everything. And I think if you if you tell yourself you are, you're pro you're probably hallucinating. So. Um, <laughs> What was so helpful, I think, in, in our guilt story is that we all had very clear roles, very clear skill sets, even different personalities. So um, Alexis and I often get confused interchangeably, probably Jen and Jenny, that might happen to you guys as well. Um, but 
over time, I think maybe our, our experiences have, have come together a bit. But 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when we started Gilt, we had very, um, very different skill sets, even um, how, we, how we approached problem solving. You know, I would get more anxious, um, to-do list, task-oriented. Alexis um, was much, you know, cool as a cucumber, big picture, visionary. It was a perfect balance. And in terms of um, specific roles, I think, I think where some co-founding relationships can get into tricky situations is when um, roles aren't clearly defined, skill sets are very similar. Um, for us, we had, um, we knew what our tasks were. Um, you know, in the early days of guilt, my job was really to, to get the best inventory that I can to convince brands all across the world to, to partner with us. And sometimes Alexis would join me in, in some of these um, sometimes sort of scary types of pitches, but she was our CEO, so she had to worry about things like tech and product and customer service, and certainly I would help and get involved in some of that. But I think um, when you have co-founders, making sure rules are very clear, even if you're all wearing many different hats, um, that certainly helps, um, helps in terms of the interpersonal dynamics. So one thing you touched on, which I think is often overlooked with thinking about finding a co-founder is personality type. So I think you, you might think, oh, I need a technical co-founder because I don't know about tech or I don't know how to code or I need someone who comes from the fashion industry, these kind of like skill sets. But this element of, you know, are you a visionary? Are you big picture, long-term thinker? Are you the get from point A to point B? I know that served Jen and my relationship and co-founding partnership very well. I've seen that dynamic and it seems like you had some of that within your relationship. How would you advise this group as they think of sorting these things out and you know meeting people, unpacking like, is this both a skill set fit, but also a personality fit in terms of how we're going to get this big vision complemented with this tactical piece? How do you kind of figure that out? Well, it was a, a big uh, learning that we had very early on. I remember it was about the fifth month, so a month after we started, we sat down. And it's, it's a, very much a trait of human, human nature where you tend to hire people just like yourself. So we kind of looked around the table, and there are tools to help assess this, Myers-Briggs, there's a whole bunch. Um, but we discovered we all were oriented towards the world virtually in the same manner. We never saw an idea we didn't like. We never saw a pothole that was coming down the road, whatever it might have been. We all um, had a lot of similarities. And what we really, in fact, needed to build a lot stronger team was exactly that, that diversity in personality around the table, equally as important as the diversity in skill set. So how you take in information, how you are oriented towards the outside world, Introvert, extroverts, um, listeners, speakers, you need a very good diversity because if you all have the same strengths, you may all have the same weaknesses. You might be running down a pathway in which you don't see that, that major hurdle coming up three months down the road. So it's important to have those caretakers, those visionaries, those individuals who might actually poke a hole in your idea um, and so that you have the appropriate amount of, frankly, sometimes disagreement and friction that gets you to a much better idea that allows you to see the things you don't see coming around the corner, but not miss the big opportunity simultaneously. And uh, we went through a process to discover where we are, how we oriented ourselves the outside world, and see where the missing holes were personality-wise around the table. And we use Myers-Briggs to, to, as our personal tool, but again, there's a lot out there. 
Yeah, and I would just add, if you're thinking about bringing on a co-founder or doesn't matter what you call them, could be your early team members, you really need to trust them. So I would put trust above and beyond on paper, does this person have the skill sets? Because you are going to go through, you know, what we call really, really high highs, like a roller coaster. But you're you're going to hit some really challenging moments, whether that's in fundraising, whether that's in product market fit. Um, who knows? Maybe maybe you make mistakes along the way. Sometimes they're not big deal mistakes. Sometimes they become quite public mistakes, depending on the type of um, business you're you're launching. So you need to trust this person. You need to know what they're um, going to be like in those bad times. Um, if you have any kind of red flags about the person, um, if you have different goals in life, you know, some people might want, some of you in the room might be thinking, you know, this is, this startup that you're working on might be the, the only job you have for the rest of your life. You know, you might be thinking about this as like a 10, 20, 30 year horizon. Other People sometimes go into startups with much shorter time frames. So you got to talk about that stuff. Make sure you're on the same page. Um, and then ultimately, you need to do that with your investors, too. Yeah, I think having those transparent, honest conversations is critical. And it says a lot that over 10 years since the founding days of Guild Group, you guys are here on stage together. You have each taken your own paths and journeys, but you are still very close. Mm -hmm eager and willing to, you know, be here at a group together and, and friends. And, you know, I feel similarly as with Jen as we've gone on to each of our paths, um, how you kind of continue those relationships because life and careers are, are long. Mm -hmm. um, so that's all the, the warm and fuzzies. Can we talk about like a challenging moment? <laughs> because, uh, you know, co-founding a business gets a lot of, yay, this is great, this is the best thing. But there are difficult conversations and things you work through. Are there any stories you kind of recall of like a moment that was challenging? Or maybe did all these five people, did it all work out or some maybe don't work out? I mean, a large percentage of co-founder relationships go south. They really do. And usually what craters those relationships is a, a fault line in the, in the trust bed that is important to maintain. Um, in the co-founding relationships, you need to, I mean, we joke, we viewed it as a marriage. We had our premarital counseling before we decided to jump in. <laughs> Luckily, we'd already dated as very close friends for four years. So we, we had a, you know, a, a quite a bit of background already. But you have to make deposits. You have to make withdrawals. It's a long-term relationship. And um, when you do get to those inevitable high highs and low lows, it helps you skate through it a lot better. I mean, one of the things that I remembered very early on that could have really created a fissure in that um, that 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 um, that trust uh, basis that, that it was so important. I think it was roughly about a year in, maybe it was closer to nine months in, where we uh, had a sale that eclipsed all of our um, expectations. And it often happens that when you have some of your highest moments, you have some of your scariest uh, uh, potential failures. But we had our first sale of Christian Louboutin. It really brought out the true nature, competitive nature of our shopping athletes on Gill Group. Um, but it literally brought our site to a halt for a day. I mean, you've never seen the whites of, of the, in the eyes of engineers, white knuckles, as they're looking at millions coming in at the same moment to try to buy. There's literally 40,000 women who tried to buy the same single shoe um, in, in, in that case. Um, so it was an opportunity for us really to 
point fingers to say, you know, well, how are we going to rebound from this? Clearly, we had to rebuild a lot of our infrastructure. We had to rebuild um, a lot of the, you know, language that we had used to even create the website. Our facilities failed us in that moment. Literally, everything about the business broke for 24 hours. We got a tremendous amount of pressure from the board as well. So it was a perfect moment for us to like point fingers, but instead, you know, it became a defining moment where we you know, quickly rallied together. We put, took on any role necessary, even if it required picking up the, the calls from customers and the customer support center for that day, um, to tackle it, come together, <coughs> lay out the path of how we're going to rebound, um, make sure that this was not a moment that defined us and, and you know, forced certain individuals out or made it that we could not raise our Series B. Uh, there were so many elements that could have gone wrong that day, and with a foundation of trust, it allowed us to run in the five different directions we needed to to rebound quickly from this incident and lay the path, path the runway down of how we were going to um, build forward and um, be in a much better position six months down the road. Yeah, I think you know, with entrepreneurship, you don't have time to really point fingers. I think if you're doing your job as an entrepreneur, you're always looking and thinking towards the future, right? And you bring that optimism and that positivity that your team really needs. Um, it reminds me, one of my favorite Rent the Runway stories was when we launched and we have a backup size for free, right? We're like, if the dress didn't fit, how can we get people comfortable with, with shopping and renting online? Um, and so we gave you a second size for free. Our engineers hadn't belts into the code the second size. And so we didn't know if people had ordered a second size or not. And so this moment where like, it could have been fights and, and mass chaos, um, we decided to call every one of the customers and just, we're confirming your order, we're so thrilled, did you know you're one of our first customers? And like, how do you turn you know, lemons into lemonade? Mm -hmm. How do you take that into an opportunity? How do you see a stressful moment as a team bonding moment, right? Because you are for sure going to have plenty of stressful moments. Um, I, I think one thing that comes to mind, and um, maybe you can speak if you've encountered this too, is venture capitalists often have a, a template and a formula of what works in their mind. So whether having a co-founder works, but only if your titles are different, or having a co-founder works as long as their skills are X and Y. And you know, often they're just, they're, they run the numbers and that's how they're gonna optimize their odds for success. And I think in a moment where we are trying to inject more female entrepreneurs and leaders into the business, the, the numbers that worked in the past may be different. Um, and so I think keeping a relationship amongst a co-founding team that is stronger and kind of has that first conversation and element of trust before letting a, a VC kind of get in the mix uh, is really critical as well. I don't know if you've seen from investors kind of ever moments where they could have pulled apart the founding team or if you can speak to having seen that. Taking outside funding can be amazing for so many reasons. One, you can set your business up to scale. You can hire more people. You can build more technology. You can buy more supplies if, if your um, business is actually making something. Um, but it also can be, can be scary because now you effectively might have a boss. You might have a board, um, board of directors, et cetera. Um, but you, just as when they're looking at potentially investing in you, you need to do just as much homework, if not more, in my opinion, um, on them. You need to talk to other entrepreneurs that they have backed. And there are some amazing investors out there who really partner with entrepreneurs. They get there in the trenches. Um, some some um, venture capitalists, um, I remember my Glam Squad days, they were um, amazing at helping me hire and recruit talent. Um, 
without having to pay for a search firm, which was something you know we weren't going to do for a lot of the roles we needed. But then there are other other VCs that can be you know a little bit more numbers oriented, cold calculating that um, might have no qualms removing a founder who isn't performing and and sort of moving founders to the sidelines. And there are lots of examples you probably read about that. Um, some of the bigger companies. So. You, you need to realize that could be a reality and make sure when you're taking capital, it's not just money. Money's great, but, um, and it's easier obviously said than done, but try to take money from um, people who are going to add value, who have relevant experience, who are going to help you uh, to grow and scale your business and, and who are going to be amazing advisors. And those investors do exist. There is no right recipe and you know, two co-founders who are co-CEOs or co-founders who might be taking differing roles. Sometimes it's obvious if you're my co-founder who's a software engineer from MIT, like in this case, it made sense for him to be our CTO. But I think before you go in front of investors, just be prepared to defend the structure you have chosen and why it makes sense for your business. Um, be prepared to discuss um, white might come down the path later and where people might be comfortable moving if, if need be, but there is no one model. Um, there is no one path to success. Um, the team is critically important and even the founding team and how it meshes. So make sure you've had the conversations of why it evolved the way it did, why you've chosen the titles, even down how you've divided up equity. Um, just so that um, you don't leave yourself vulnerable to, well, there's no way a co-CEO structure will work. Well, in fact, it can work, and here's why, and here's why it's right for our business, our culture, and the company we want to build. And, and so on that topic, because there is no one-size-fits-all to entrepreneurship, now hearing you know the two of you speak and seeing your relationship, Jen and I were up on stage, and all of us have these co-founder relationships that they've worked out, they've gone well, we felt like they were important and critical in our success. Probably easy for those in the audience to think like, gosh, if I don't have a co-founder today, like I gotta go find one or should I find one? How would you advise people to actually think about that? Of, you know, it isn't the right answer for everyone and it's not necessarily a necessary component. You, you founded companies that don't have a co-founder subsequently. How do you kind of sort that out in your head if you're thinking of people really early on in, in the ventures um, in, sitting in the audience? I mean, I, I would think about it um, more along the lines of what, what are key areas and key roles that you're missing? And, and um, then you go out and meet people, you network. Um, if you need to find technical talent, you, you start integrating and trying to meet engineers or, or people in product or design or operations or um, manufacturing, depending on the type of business you have. And um, you don't need to approach it necessarily like, I need a co-founder. You, you just might need team members. And um, who knows? In those conversations, it could develop into a co-founder relationship um, or just an early um, early stage employee. And you'll figure it out along the way. I don't feel like there's you know, uh, um, one formula for all. Um, but you should also know your own personalities and know what's the environment that's going to make you shine. And, you know, in, in the case of, of the two of us, when we were um, walking into a big meeting, whether it was with investors, potential investors, or um, a brand that we really wanted to convince, when we had each other, we, we felt so much more confident and powerful. And um, we were also each other's sort of 
harshest critics, we would walk out of a meeting and always say, you know, what could we have done better? What could you have done better? What could I have done better? And we were very open on and honest with one another. And that was amazing to have that kind of a relationship. So um, you need to think through what, uh, what makes sense for you. I think, you know, something else Jen and I often say is, it was really fun. I mean, this is it's learning opportunities. It's also really fun going through these like critical moments with a co-founder, co right? And again, that can be your founding team and thinking about those moments. But you will have whether it's stressful times or like celebratory times or these like highs and lows of entrepreneurship are like quite extreme. So also thinking about like how do you enjoy your day to day and like who's that kind of if there's a wing person that you want to go through that moment with. Um, so, so assuming you know there are some of you in the room who either have co-founders or who are maybe curious to find co-founders, um, but are bootstrapping, you know, haven't raised money yet. How do you think about setting up initial agreements, and where did you guys kind of go to, or, or how would you kind of advise this team to get things going in a clean, clear way? Which is, I think, another important thing about co-founding is to have like a very clear set of equity split conversations about your roles, discussions about what it means to be partners, like legally laid out even? Again, there is no one model. However, I would advise everyone to get it on paper as soon as possible. Document it as early as possible. Um, be as um, thorough as you can, discussing any um, fears you have related to it, any shortcomings. Often, um, founding agreements uh, might go slide along a number of different parallels. You know, perhaps one joins earlier, one joins later. So one's taking on more risk, one's taking on less risk. Um, perhaps another one would be how much salary you need to take versus um, equity you want to take. And again, there are certain um, ways to look at these agreements, determining how much risk you're taking, how early you're taking that risk, how much cash you're foregoing, um, that might determine and help shape that equity split. Um, another is just simply around sometimes the roles. Um, and it can be common to see a CTO perhaps take a little less than the CEO has day one. Um, so again, there's a lot of uh, uh, parameters you look at around risk you're willing to take, when you're, when you're willing to take that risk, what role you're taking off the bat, how much capital you yourself are putting in it versus another individual. And that certainly um, are the most common set of kind of sliding bars that I've seen in founding agreements. Um, they can be complicated. They're, they're hard to get perfectly right at the beginning, but you try to with open honesty. But regardless, get it on paper so there's less, there's a lack of, there's not that opportunity for lack of clarity to creep in. And, and they always can be revisited over time, but start somewhere. Yeah, I think that it's an opportunity to see how you work through some tricky, difficult conversations because it will be the first of many. Uh, I know one thing that Jen and I did was we worked with lawyers on a contingency basis, and many lawyers will do that. So you pitch to them in the way they're investing their time, and they're kind of saying, you know, either don't pay us right now, but be our client later, or pay us once you raise a round. But many lawyers are willing to, especially for like stock basic agreements, work with you to get you up and running without getting anything paid up front. So always kind of explore and don't be afraid to ask because a lot of different people will do that. They'll defer payment. They'll take equity instead if, if you choose to go that route um, because they, they believe in what you're doing. Um, so don't be afraid to ask favors. 
In terms of uh, technology, I think it's amazing that you are involved with Girls Who Code and that organization has just done so many things. Um, you have also, you've both kind of scaled this learning curve around technology being, it's just part of everything we do these days. Have there been certain tools on that front that you guys can speak to that have been particularly helpful outside of your peers and the founding team? Technological tools? Yeah, how do you, like, let's say you don't have a technical co-founder, Jen and I didn't, how do you interview for <laughs> your first engineer, or how do you learn to talk the talk? Did you learn to code at any point, or, you know, would you advise that people take time to do some of these things? Yeah, no, it's a very good question, and, and in this day and age, almost every business is in the technology business because you're typically having some sort of website or technical capability to communicate with customers at the very least. Um, and the good news is, is there's so many tools out there today that didn't exist when we got out the door, whether it's uh, Demandware to Magento, ways to get websites up and running very quickly. So that's certainly something that's helpful that allows you to get up and running before having a technical team. But outside of that, um, I mean, you can always interview a person, no matter what, as, as, a, for, as a cultural fit for your, for your team. And you have to start there. Um, putting even aside the, the technical capabilities and fit. Um, outside of that, if you um, have trouble assessing uh, the capability, and this is, this is actually true for any part of your team, but call in the favors then. I mean, I certainly, when interviewing technical co-founders, technical members of the team, I, I have those two or three individuals who are part of my I call them my personal board of directors, but those individuals that I can call and have a favor uh, logged in. Hey, can you grab coffee with this individual? Tell me what you think. Is he? Do you think he is um, a great front-end engineer? What are concerns you'd have? How could you build a team? Is he the type who could attract other um, top engineers in, in XYZ field? So call in the favors, and then if you don't even know where to begin, you don't have those individuals in your life, they tend to hang out in certain areas, and they tend to hang out in tribes. <laughs> you might be going to meetups. Uh, you might be going to other gatherings. Um, but you know, oftentimes, they are equally looking for opportunities and trying to find perhaps a business partner. And you just have to put yourself out there, network, call in favors. Maybe you can call in a favor to a person you don't even know that well yet. Um, but it, it requires you to be quite scrappy and use ingenuity uh, more often than specific tools, I believe. Yeah, I would, I would add to that, um, something that you can think about doing is uh, creating um, some advisors to your company. So whether you call it an advisory board um, or you don't actually have to meet formally, but you can offer um, people, uh, whether they're engineers or other areas um, where you might feel a little bit deficient, and you can offer equity anywhere from 0.25% as high up to 1%, um, and, and you can leverage their experience. It can help you with fundraising. Um, to show that you have access to people with skill sets you're missing. It can help you maybe with vetting talent. So if let's say you had a technical advisor, you could um, not feel necessarily like you're asking for favors. If that feels awkward to you, you're literally incentivizing them. If your business grows and scales and has some sort of an exit, this person will make money as an advisor. Um, and that's something that um, I definitely recommend to, to a lot of startups. And that's a great point, because often you can actually afford to hire the whole team you need. So a great way to full it, fill in the gaps that you're missing is to put that type of skill set on your advisory board. 
and uh, round out the team earlier without actually having to create a salary or some other some other cost to the business. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And you know, tacking on to that, often asking these folks who you trust, who who are your people, you've worked with them for referrals, says a ton, right? So if someone's like specifically referring, it it comes, it goes to say that they they stand behind that person. Last question was advice, like if you had to kind of sum it up in a sentence or two, what's like the main thing you would tell this group? One thing that I took with me quite early on in my career, and it touches on something that I heard you say, I think, right at the get-go, is you really do as well as you, as those around you want to see you do. And the way I took that advice to heart um, at the start of my career was thinking, okay, there is a certain group of individuals I'll need to have around me, either to ask the hardest questions you can ask anyone, to help understand your own shortcomings and how you need to evolve or build teams to solve them. But I've always thought of that group as my personal board of directors. Build that group. Um, they're often individuals you've already worked with and give you the best advice. Take them with you. Um, Reach out to others you might want to develop a relationship with to help you get to that next level, help you succeed. But there are always going to be certain topics you can never go to your real board of directors with, that you need that independent group around you who will want to see you succeed, but also will help have those toughest conversations that you, when, when you have nowhere else to turn. Yeah, and I would just add something I say all the time to my team. I just posted an Instagram quote of it. Um, but if you don't ask, you don't get. And I think you just have to really develop thick skin. You have to be comfortable with putting yourself out there. Um, I mean, I, I'm like queen of the cold call. I, don't, I really don't get offended if someone doesn't write me back or if someone says no. Um, and, and in a startup, you'll basically be doing that all the time, whether you're um, developing partnerships, you're fundraising, you're trying to hire people. You know, I will spend, right now I'm actually hiring a bunch of people and I, in areas that I don't really know a lot about, and I'm just spending hours on LinkedIn and sending email, you know, sending messages, um, asking people like, hey, would you ever be interested in an opportunity? And if they don't write you back, like, who cares? And if they do, it could lead to something. So develop thick skin, put yourself out there, don't be afraid of rejection. Um, and, and think of, you know, if you, if you send, let's say, um, 10 emails, if you're trying to get something done, and two people write you back, don't, don't you know, be, be glass half full, not empty. Don't think of it as eight people rejected you. Think of it as like, yes, two people wrote you back. That's amazing. Um, and I think that type of attitude will, will serve you well in whatever business you're building. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being here once again. I think this was very informative. Thank you for listening to the Project Entrepreneur, the Tools podcast series. We are adding more episodes all the time, so please subscribe to get the latest on how to make your business successful. You can find more resources and learn about upcoming events at projectentrepreneur.org. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PJT Entrepreneur and like us on Facebook. Project Entrepreneur is a program of Rent the Runway Foundation and UBS. Special thanks to our community advisors, Black Founders, Latino Startup Alliance, Venture for America, and Historically Black Colleges and Universities Innovation, Commercialization, and Entrepreneurship Program.